This is the Intentional Disruption Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Demo. And today I'm going to discuss a little bit about a conversation I had with a social media influencer over the last week. Because the questions that he had tied directly in with the efficiency and effectiveness of your marketing strategy as well. So I'm not going to go through who the individual was, but fair to say in some of the circles that I run in, very well-known individual and very well into the uh, six figures for reach on a lot of the content that they post. And I bring this up because the question wasn't from the business that's looking to advertise uh, with him, but from the actual influencer themselves. See, the individual is looking at expanding into different forms of communication, I guess we'll say, and wasn't sure what to charge for their offer. And they have some analytics about, you know, things like engagement. And the real question comes down to is doing business with you going to generate enough revenue where it's not a loss leader you know very often you'll hear that term a loss leader and people find that to be acceptable you know use the super bowl as an example i don't know if you know i don't remember who the super bowl ads are for usually it's like a pepsi or a coke or i think there were a lot of um ones for religious stuff. I truly don't pay attention to a lot of the advertisements, um, especially over the last 10 years. But like those are considered to be loss leaders because they cost $7 million for a 30 second spot. And are you really going to generate that much business? Maybe, maybe not. But they're doing it for awareness. And I understand the concept of doing that. I truly do. But I also don't think that that's a position that a small business nowadays needs to be in with optimization of things like your landing pages, doing split testing to see how they convert. There doesn't need to necessarily be a loss leader. You can be revenue neutral maybe, but that's something that you want to see. Now, matter of fact, as I'm thinking about that, I have another client that is doing some pretty, pretty big sponsorships with organizations that have stadiums. And when it came time for the negotiations, they want X dollars to have you be one of their sponsors, somebody that they sell inside of their building. Um, if you're picking up on what I'm saying. And it's like, well, that's great. That's good. Good. But what were your sales numbers last year or the year before? You see, they're asking for X dollars to be a premier partner, 
but does that actually convert to dollars and cents? So let's use a number of $100,000 just to make life easy. Well, that's good. But if we have, I don't know, let's call it a 50% profit margin just to make life easy. Are we going to sell $200,000 worth of product at the actual venue? You might say, well, Mike, but you know, people, you know, maybe they'll buy there, but they'll see it and they'll buy it when they're out in the stores nearby. That's fair. And it's possible. But when I look at the opportunity, especially for a business that is in growth mode, but isn't very capital rich, like they don't have huge reserves just yet. I want to see that we at least get to a one-to-one ROAS or return on ad spend. You know, I want to make sure that it's at least revenue neutral. And if it's not, we need to have a conversation about potentially arranging the deal differently. And these organizations actually were because they understood what I was saying. And they actually cut their cost down to do it by, I think it was 35%. And that tells me that they didn't have the in-stadium sales to qualify for that. Like it would be a lost leader at the number that they were asking for. So pivoting back to the individual that I was talking to and why that ties together on a previous event that they'd done a previous partnership, you could see that there was a lot of engagement, but as far as overall sales go, it wasn't at the 1% number that I would normally look for. It was close, close adjacent, but not really. Instead of 1%, it was about 0.5. And if you're a digital marketer, you're looking at that, okay, well, you know, say it's 500,000 impressions and, I don't know, 3,000 people buy. You could say, well, 3,000 people bought. And that might make sense depending on your lifetime value of a client, what the cost of your offer is. You know, for somebody like me, that could make sense because I have a higher end offering. It's not a $49 do-it-yourself course or anything like that. It's a much, much greater value in the podcast that dropped, it should drop last week if I have the sequencing right. Clients that work with me that aren't engaged in the process fully lose out on hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in profit. Notice I didn't say revenue, I said profit. Like I'm all for the big sexy number that you brag about with your friends. Hey, I've got a $5 million, $10 million business. That's great. If your margin's 1%, you could still be working at corporate America. Doesn't matter. I care about the dollars that filter down to my client in whichever form it is, whether it's to their high cash value life policies or their trusts or their endowments or any of the parts and pieces that we use. That's the number I care about. And that's what I'm looking at here. So for this individual, you know, the question becomes how much can you charge And are you going to factor off of the correct metric? Because here's the dirty little secret. Most company landing pages don't convert. 
you know, talk to your web specialist, ask them about bounce rates and what that looks like. But most of these click funnels, if you will, these landing pages that people set up for these type of partnerships, man, if they convert one to 2%, that's amazing. So as the influencer, you need to look at how many people clicked through on your offer on the post that you put up. So you can get a better idea for what you should charge. And I would charge on the click-through rate instead of how many people actually bought. Because maybe you can have more influence on one item versus another. But if you're trying to standardize your offer, the only thing that you can really charge off of is how many people got pushed through to their landing page. Because you can't control the conversion rate from there. You didn't build out their offer. And there's some assumption that's going to come into play here where your offer that you're partnering up on should be tied to your demographic. You know, you should have the data on the people that are listening. Now, an example with this podcast, I'm not going to ever consider a sponsor for products and things that don't serve my clients. Like jokingly, um, you're not going to hear a maxi pad commercial on my network. Why? Because I'm a dude and I don't use them. So I probably couldn't tell you, hey, this is going to be great for you. To the same extent, if you're an influencer, you're looking to do a co-branded outreach, there has to be a synergy there. Not just for you to feel more natural in the conversation about a product or service, but because the people that are following you are likely similar to you. That's how this works. And I just went through puberty, so don't mind my voice. Um, Daylight savings time, it says it's six in the morning, but it's really still five in the morning. Or however that works, we should really get rid of daylight savings time. But you want to have a synergy between the items that you're promoting and your native audience. That's going to help the conversion rate once they click through. But you want to do your cost analysis based on how many people on average you get to click through to somebody's offer page. And that becomes an interesting conversation in itself because you want to have a simplified process. Like, yes, it'd be nice to get a piece of every single click that comes through, granted. But that's going to create some complicated billing. Alternatively, let's say you charge 10 grand for a co-branded post. And I'm just making the number up here. Ideally, you know that based on the service or product that your partner is offering that they're going to make money. Now, I'd want to see them making 50 grand, 100 grand, me personally. Now, I know that's not necessarily possible. It might only be a one to one where, hey, 10 grand and they, day one, they make 10 grand, you know, a one to one, but their lifetime value ends up meaning that they end up at 5x, 10x, whatever that offer was. That's, truly the model that people follow 
using the LTV model to determine advertising budget. But as the person that's promoting the item, I'd want to make sure that they're at least revenue neutral from my offer. And that's a win-win type mindset. And I understand that. Uh, A lot of people will say, you know, hey, I'm going to charge $100,000 to co-brand with you because it's my name going on it. And, And that's fine. That's fine. But if that person only makes $25,000 off of that and it's a loss leader, I don't know that there's value there for the other person. And while you might make a pretty good payday on day one, they're probably not coming back to work with you again. And is that a good thing? Personally, I'd like to have relationships with the people that I'm promoting. Yeah, I don't do a ton of it. More often, I just make recommendations to folks. But when you're talking at these higher levels of outreach and you're talking multiple six-figure engagement, yeah, you, you probably want to get a little bit of money for that. But you also want to make sure that you can have a longer-term relationship. I'll give you an example from the financial world. The firm that I clear my financial trades through brought out a new solution a couple of years ago. And I don't know if they wanted to try to be hip, newsflash insurance companies. It's not going to happen. But instead of the traditional white bread people that they put on covers of things, they showed this old dude with tattoos. Looks like he you know, just came out of a Jimmy Buffett concert or something like that. He's chilling in Margaritaville. And that same guy ended up on another insurance carrier's ads as well. That'd be like, um, what is her name? Flo from Progressive, all of a sudden doing an Allstate ad. Or, oh God, what is it? Uh, the AT&T uh, Lily, I think is the name of that character, suddenly starting to promote Verizon. It's incongruous. And people are like, wait, this person just promotes stuff. Like they don't have brand loyalty, brand recognition. And as somebody with a audience and theoretically the ability to influence, that becomes a major thing. You do not want to bring on 17 different vendors. You want them to be tightly paired with your brand, your voice, and there should be a synergy there. To my point again, as a dude, I'm never going to be promoting maxi pads because it's obvious that it would just be a cash grab for me because I have no need of relationship to that product. The same thing applies with your company. Where you advertise matters. And what a lot of companies on the larger scale, you're talking Fortune 500, a lot of the things that they've been doing with their partnerships have been turning off their clients, mostly because the people in the ad departments listen more to Twitter than the rest of the world, but they've been pandering to a base. And it's obvious that it's not authentic. An example that I always love to give is for certain months out of the year, a lot of companies will change their logos. This might be controversial, so stand by. And they change their logos to what we'll call a different type of flag. It's very colorful, this flag. But you won't see them do it for their Saudi Arabia branches and accounts. 
You won't see it for the Yemen account. You won't see it in certain countries, which tells you that it's just lip service. They don't really care, and it's incongruous. And I'm not going to speak to the value of doing that. If that is your target audience, great, go for it, do it. But do it everywhere. Because otherwise, it's incongruous, and the rest of the people, they know that. In the automotive circles, we joke about that because we'll see that with, say, BMW Saudi Arabia. Their logo doesn't change. Why doesn't it change? Because their audience there, they're not playing that game. And that incongruity shows that they're just putting up a front and it's not authentic. And every company does it that does those things and services both, we'll call it the West and then the Middle East. And you as a influencer or small business, you want to be consistent. You don't want to all of a sudden have mixed messages. That doesn't work well. Your audience won't engage with it and it just won't come across as genuine. So just a couple things to be wary of as somebody that's looking to bring on advertisers or somebody that's looking to advertise, make sure that you've got a really good relationship with the people that you're going to be branding with. Because at the end of the day, if there is a lack of synergy, a lack of congruity, it's actually going to hurt your conversion rates and your overall reach with your people going into the future. So I hope you found this helpful. If you've got some questions about what I was just talking about or how to potentially engage with some of the pieces that I discussed, feel free to reach out to me, growwithdelta.com. There's about 18 different ways to uh, put time on my calendar. I look forward to talking to you on the next go round. Have a great day. 